Pastor Xavier Reese with the secret to financial success. If you will depend upon God, then God will never fail you and you have more than you need. Remember that. But if you go beyond what God's called you to do, if you start living on your own discretion, then you will get in the hole, I guarantee you. I am encouraging you that you do only what God has called you to do. And if you do only what God calls you to do, you're not going to lack. And God's going to get the glory. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It doesn't take a financial analyst to tell you life is expensive. And it's also true that nothing in life is free, including running a ministry. Well, today, as he continues his in-depth study series of the book of Philippians, Pastor Xavier tackles the sometimes difficult issue of a believer and his finances. Here he is with today's simple truths drawn from Philippians chapter 4 on ministry and finances. Paul has told the Philippians not to live in a constant state of anxiety and worry, as well as to control their minds by meditating on what is virtuous and praiseworthy. The result would end up being having the peace of God for life and fellowship with the God of peace constantly. He also told them that right thinking results in right living in verse 8 and 9. We must have a biblical mind. We must understand what the scriptures teach so that when the temptations come, when the trials come, we're not swept away by them. We make decisions based on obedience, not feelings, not our own convenience. Now Paul is going to illustrate both of these exhortations by his own example. Paul always does that. He never asks us to do anything that he has not done. And he does this regarding finances for life and ministry. And he talks about them from verse 10 down to 20. Now, Paul's complete dependency was on Christ Jesus. We're going to see that. Paul was not biting his nails or begging like many preachers and teachers do today. He just trusted God. What a restful place that is. Now, notice the entire section from verse 10 to 20 deals with financial gifts, as I said, from the Philippians by Epaphroditus, and he mentions them again in verse 18. But what we want to do is concentrate only on verse 10 through 14, which reveals three things regarding Paul's heart about finances in connection to ministry. Let me read these verses. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regards to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Here are the three things regarding Paul's heart and finances. First, in verse 10, Paul's appreciation for their finances. He expresses that first of all. Secondly, Paul's perception about his finances in verse 11 and 12. And then thirdly, Paul's commendation of their finances. So he begins with the Philippians, he points to himself, and he ends up with the Philippians again. Let's begin here. 
with the first. Paul's appreciation for their finances in verse 10. Notice first, Paul recognized the Lord's faithfulness. That is so important. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. It's so important that you and I see God when we see things happen. Too often we say, oh, you know, why did that happen? Or we got to see God first. Or maybe somebody will do something or somebody will say something and we'll say, well, thank, and we don't see it's God. It's always God. If you're a Christian, it is God who's working on your behalf. All right? So first of all, the acknowledgement of God. Notice Paul rejoicing the Lord for the supply of his finances, not people. The entire passage is void of the word thanks. Have you noticed that? Yet the entire context is a loving expression of thanksgiving. The word rejoice is in the aorist. Paul rejoiced at the very time that the present was given to him, the gift by Epaphroditus. At the very time, how often, how timely, we're praying and God does something, and when it happens, we say, Lord, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> the letter at the right time, the little exhortation. I just walked in this morning, went to my mailbox, grabbed something there. I picked it up, I opened it up, read it, and I go, Lord, thank you. So necessary for me to read what I read. But it's a thank you, Lord. You're so faithful. His timing. This is the epistle of joy. You know that. Due to the fact that Paul was in Rome by God's appointment, he's told him that. He had God's mind, and he was under God's provisions. That's all Paul knew about it, okay? Notice Paul rejoiced greatly in the Lord, and the word greatly here is megalos. It means immense, and it appears only this time in this form. We get our expression, he has mega bucks. In other words, he's got a lot of money. Mega, big, a lot, excess. Paul's rejoicing was in the Lord due to the fact that his trust was in God alone for his finances, regardless of how God would provide them. He does not say he doesn't appreciate the Philippians. We're going to see that. But his focus first and priority is God. God is first. That you see God in whatever comes to your life, how he works it out, that you give the glory and you recognize God working on behalf of you. You realize that people in prison at this day, they weren't cared for by the state very good, so they had to depend on outside source to bring food, clothing, different things. Notice also in verse 10, secondly, that Paul recognized the Philippians' faithfulness. So he moves from God to the Philippians. Listen to him. That now at last your care for me has flourished again. He rejoiced in the Lord that now at last their care for him had revived again. He uses the word care. We've studied this word before, phineo. The word is used throughout the letter to communicate the oneness of mind of Christ towards his church, how they're supposed to be servants after Christ's manner, and his love towards him, his towards them. Over and over and over again, this word is used. Mind, mind, think. That's why we spoke about right think brings right living. What possesses your mind? How do you think? Do you bring those thoughts in captivity? Do you say, no, Lord, help me in this? Do you say, no, that's the old man? No, that's the way I used to think. That's the way I used to respond. Lord, now you're Lord. Bring my thoughts into captivity. This is the word mind, to be like-minded towards him and affection towards him because they were servants of Christ. It's used 12 times in the letter. Paul used it for his own affection towards them in the opening of the chapter, verse 7. He says, just as right for me to think, there's the word, think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in defense of the conflict of the conflict of the gospel. 
It's this love relationship. It's mutual, back and forth. Now, notice Paul also uses a very descriptive word here uh, to describe their care and interest for him by the word flourish. The word literally means to sprout or to blossom. And again, this is the only time it's used here in the New Testament. And the word is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures, to describe trees in winter that conceal their strength until spring. And that's the way it's used in Ezekiel 17, 24. So seasonal, timely, in the right time, that's what you should think of God. He's never late. I know what we often remind him of how long he has and how long we've been praying, but he's never been late. Paul was saying that the Philippians, through their finances, had once again been God's answer to his trust and dependency on God. They were the branches. Jesus was the vine. You ever think about that when people are used by God towards you? That they're the branch, but the one that you should give glory to is the vine? You don't step on the branch. You don't smack it and break it off. But you go beyond the branch. You go to the root. Paul says that this was not the first time by the word again. Notice that. The Philippians had been given to Paul when he departed from Macedonia in verse 15, it tells us. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. They were the only ones. And then in verse uh, 16, the Philippians also gave to Paul two other times at Thessalonica. So these guys were, were, were sold out with Paul. These people were missionary-minded at the same time. By the way, how was Paul earning his living in Thessalonica? 1 Thessalonians 2.9 and 2 Thessalonians 3.8, he was building tents. He was making tents. That's how God really provided for Paul throughout his ministry. He called him to a tent ministry. Paul knew exactly what God called him to do. He was working with his own hands. And yet God was faithful to supply different ways. So whatever way God provides for you, that's God providing for you. Whatever it may be. Philippians now had given to Paul once again as he was in the Roman prison. So before he left, in Thessalonica twice, here they are again. Notice the Philippians had a long-standing relationship with Paul. From the beginning of the epistle, as we've looked at it, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, he had them in, their, in his heart, even as he was in chains. In chapter 1, verse 12, uh, they were concerned about his imprisonment. He says, listen, by the way, I'm here by appointment. Don't worry about it. The house of Caesar says, Hi. In verse 19 of chapter 1, he says that they were a part of the answer to his deliverance through their prayers. God would deliver them. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 25, he speaks about how they had sent Epaphroditus. He was grateful. I mean, they were involved. They were connected with him over and over and over again. Now, notice thirdly here that Paul recognized the Philippians' blamelessness. God's faithfulness, the Philippians' faithfulness, but now the Philippians' blamelessness. Notice it says, though you surely did care but lacked opportunity. Now, he confessed their love for him, though you did care. The same word is used in the beginning of the verse. And they were of the mind towards Paul for his best interests. He recognized that. Why? Because so often people can be driven by guilt or people can misunderstand us. 
They were like-minded towards Paul. The very help that Epaphroditus was to him, the financial help, that was great evidence. So he knew that. And they had not sent, now they had. And he says, listen, I'm not getting down on you. So he clears them of any procrastination by declaring their lack of opportunity, but does not identify what is meant by the lack of opportunity. It could be that they had no one to take the gift at that time. Traveling was difficult in those days. Dangerous. It could be that they were in a financial hardship also and they couldn't. Remember the church of Macedonia were very, very poor. Paul picks this up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. To rebuke the Corinthians because they had boasted about giving to the offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And the Macedonians were poor and they were the first to give. And Paul rebukes the Corinthians at the generosity of the poor saints. Some say that Paul was reproving them, rebuking them for their tardiness by his phrase, now at last. But if so, then Paul's declaration, though you surely did care but lacked opportunity, would not make sense. It would be contradictory. He's not reproving them. He's going out of his way to say, listen, I so appreciate you. Thank you very much. You have done more than I deserve and expected. You understand what he's saying? How different from preachers today when they will get up on their Sunday morning pulpits and say, you know, I really have been let down lately. I really thought that um, we were going to push forward in this vision of the ministry and, you know, our finances are down. What a sad commentary when finances have to be discussed from the pulpit. First, on the preacher. But secondly, on the mentality and philosophy of ministry. You don't lay burdens on people. You don't do that. Paul is not laying a trip on them. He is going out of his way to make them feel very comfortable and appreciated. He communicated his greater appreciation of their generosity due to their own hardship and difficulty of getting the finances. He put himself in their place how he would feel and he can express it. It's all right. The word opportunity comes from the word seasonal. The apostle Paul knew that whatever the reason was, God was in control and the timing of God would be according to his own season, never late. God is never late. Paul understood that. His faith was in God, not people. And yet he appreciated people, but he didn't let people get in the way of God. That's very, very important. If you've never read anything on George Mueller, the man of faith over in England, and he cared for many orphans, um, and he never begged, he never took collections, never nothing. He depended on God. God called him to his ministry. But one day George Mueller was uh, with his orphans in one of the orphanages, and, and as usual he said God was going to provide, and there was nothing there, and he was waiting and nothing, and he had been praying to the Lord, and all of a sudden so he called the children down, and they sat at the table, and he started to pray, and he says, let's give thanks for this, and all the kids are looking around, nothing around, and they pray, and the minute that he said amen, there was a knock on the door. Mr. Mueller opened the door, the milkman was there, and he says, Mr. Mueller, I was wondering if you might be able to use all the milk and the cheese in the cart that broke down in front of the orphanage. If not, it's going to spoil. Right on time. And it was event after event, situation after situation, because he was a man of faith. If you will depend upon God, and that will include stewardship, and we're going to go into that, then God will never fail you, and you have more than you need. 
Remember that. But don't let your need be known to people, to God. How we in the ministry have witnessed and learned to appreciate God's faithfulness in perfect timing regarding finances. That you do only what God has called you to do. And if you do only what God calls you to do, you're not going to lack. And God's going to get the glory. But if you go beyond what God's called you to do, if you start living on your own discretion, your own direction, then you will get in the hole. I guarantee you. Secondly, their obedience to give to God what belongs to God. Giving every day of the, every first day of the week on Sundays, as 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, as God has prospered you. Giving in such a way, not according to what I don't have, but according to what I do have, as 2 Corinthians 8, 12 through 13 says. Giving hilariously, not compulsively or begrudgingly, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. But also, only if we are praying to God in secret will we be appreciative of the people of God because we pray to God all the time and then we see God work through his people or whatever way he wants. Jesus taught that in Matthew 6, 5 through 8. Pray in your closet in secret and God will reward you openly. And so every morning we meet as a staff at 8 o'clock and we don't do anything until we pray and we discuss the matters of the day. We pray every day and we let God know the needs and God's been so faithful with 19 years. And I don't think anybody's ever been pressured. No cookie sales, no car washes, no nothing. He will confirm this as he opens the doors, as he provides. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, and even here in Philippians 4, 6. In prayer, not being anxious. If God's in it, fine. If not, let's get out. The radio's going on right now. If God's in it, it'll be able to take care of itself. If it isn't, then we get off. No big deal. No pressure. This was Paul's appreciation for their finances. Amazing. Notice, secondly, Paul's perception of his finances, verse 11 and 12. First in verse 11, Paul declared that he didn't see himself in poverty. Amazing. He said, listen, I don't want you to get the wrong idea about me. I'm not in poverty. Not that I speak in regards of needs. Paul was not making any appeal or declaration of anyone for his needs. How different from today. You turn on the radio, uh, Christian stations, and they say, now, you know, if you don't provide, then we're going to have to get off the airs. Thank God. Get off. <laughs> it's about time. But you don't beg for support from the radio. You've got a lot of heathens listening. If God's in it, he's in it. If not, get off. This was not Paul's style of ministry, nor his person. In fact, he refused financial help from the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I have the right, but I refuse it because I don't want to stumble anybody. Paul uses the very specific word here to describe his financial condition. Notice that. The word need. It means to fall short or to be penury or in poverty. The word appears only two times in this form. Here and also in Mark 12, 44, for the poor widow that put in all her livelihood of her poverty. All these Pharisees going, one for the Lord. You know, all, he says, the Lord said, she put in more than all of them put together. The disciples scratched their head. What are you talking about? She, that's all she has. This is the word. You know what Paul's saying? I'm not broke. I'm not in poverty. Where is he at? The Marriott? He's in Roman prison. Paul the apostle was attesting to God's faithfulness once again to always provide for his needs. He had counted all things but dung. 
already in chapters 3, verse 7 through 11. Now notice, secondly, Paul declared the reason for this proclamation. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? One word. Learn it. Content. Content. Because after all, we're the king's kid, right? We should have a Cadillac, a Mercedes, and everything else, right? Really. The proclamation was Paul's personal practice. Mark that well. The apostle uses the pronoun I eight times from verse 10 to 14. Now notice the apostle is giving witness to his ministry lifestyle. Ministry lifestyle. The process of his learning has been through time. The tense implies conversion to the present day. In other words, Paul had entered into this condition at his conversion and had been learning through the process and had arrived at learning because he didn't know that before he was converted. He came from a very wealthy family. He was of the upper echelons of learning. The perspective was to be appreciative and grateful. Those again, everything that is virtuous today, the world hates. It's almost like the Greek culture. Honor, virtue, ethics, morality, goodness, nobility. When is the last time you heard those words? Rather you hear, oh, you could, it, it, you're so good. It's in you. You can be motivated. You can have it. You can do it. It's all focused on self. Notice the word content. It is a stoic word which means to be self-sufficient from external circumstances based on being frugal and a steward. There's the two steps, frugal and stewardship. Self-sufficiency. These Stoics use this word that they needed nothing outside of themselves or external situations. They could survive on their own based on their stewardship and their frugality. He uses the same word in a different form two other times. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work, speaking about giving to the poor saints of Jerusalem. So we as Christians are to be self-sufficient, frugal stewardship. Godliness with contentment is great gain, 1 Timothy 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The problem is that too often we are just like the world and we get greedy and covetousness. One of the wealthiest person was asked, just how much is enough money? He says, just a little more than I have. I mean, the whole society pushes us, right? Some people are maxing their credit cards, 18, 21%, and they're maxed out, paying only the minimal interest. You're getting in the hole. You better pay what you know you can pay and what you should pay so you can get out of the hole and not get buried. If not, don't buy it. You can't afford it. The apostle's self-sufficiency was that he depended on God's leading alone to be in line with him for his call and service and not to go beyond it. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 3, 5. The sufficiency is not of ourselves, but of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 10, 14 through 16, he says, listen, we have not pressed beyond the boundaries of Christ. We have come to you by God's direction. So we only do what God calls us to do and the evidence of that is that he leads us and he provides for us and we don't have to beg and we're okay. That's good. I'm not here to compare myself to another church. Oh, look at the building they have. Oh, I guess I don't have enough faith. No, this is what God has. This is more than I deserve. I'm blessed. I'm content, but I'm not complacent. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. 1 Timothy 6, 8. Pastor Xavier Reese and the secret to financial success and contentment. A financial truth 
found embedded in God's Word. And there's still more to come next time. But if you won't be able to join Pastor Xavier, a copy of this message is available on CD for just $4. The title to ask for is Ministry and Finances. Having your own copy makes a great way to share this ministry with someone in your church or Bible study. So once again, the title to ask for is Ministry and Finances. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Is there a secret to dealing with the trials of life? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com